بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد تب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون Some issues which I wanted to touch upon tonight One was regarding the Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam The Prophets alayhi salatu wassalam being alive in their graves When Prophets alayhi salatu wassalam pass away and are placed in their graves, it is known through mutawatir hadith, mass transmitted hadith. The word mutawatir relates to those hadith that have been transmitted to us by such a number, a huge number of people that the hadith cannot be deemed a lie. The hadith would be considered truthful. So the Prophet being alive in their graves is something which has reached us through mass transmission which is known as tawatur, mutawatir. And this is why Imam Muhammad bin Ja'far al-Kattani rahimahullah ta'ala in his book Nazmul Mutanafir fil Hadith al-Mutawatir and prior to him other ulama have included the hadith of the prophets alayhi salatu wassalam being in, alive in their graves as being mutawatir having reached us through so many transmissions, chains of transmissions. And this is why Imam al-Bayhaqi rahimahullah ta'ala compiled a, an entire book compiling so many different narrations regarding Prophets are alive in their graves praying. So now when someone changes this concept in their mind, when someone believes that the Prophet or all the Prophets are praying in their graves, when they go to Al-Madinatul Munawwarah to visit the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the attitude to visiting the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would be different because they know that Sayyiduna Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is praying in his grave and is alive. In this regard, the retort or the response we receive from the modern pseudo-Salafi movement, the oil-backed Salafi movement is that these ahadith, these narrations of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam are ahadith that we must interpret as being what they would say just in his barzakh, meaning the ithmus life, the intermediary life, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is worshipping but we do not know the reality of this. To every objective individual I would say if you are taking verses of Al-Quran like Ar-Rahman wa'ala al-Arsh istawa that the merciful rose over the throne the word istawa literally would mean to rise if you are taking those verses regarding the divine attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as literal and non-interpretable meaning you cannot interpret those verses or you say we take the literal meaning because they take the literal meaning, then why 
is the methodology different when you interpret the ahadith relating to the Prophet ﷺ being alive in their graves? Now, of course, the Salaf, the Salafu Salihun, the pious predecessors, when they would come across verses relating to a Sifatul Khabariya, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that have been related in reports, they would say, Numiruha ala zahiriha, or they would say, Amiruha ala zahiriha, which would mean pass them by on the apparent, meaning pass them by, relate those ahadith on the apparent. We say the meaning of this is, Amiruha ala zahiriya would mean pass them by on ala zahiri lafz on the apparent wording. But do not take the literal meaning. Pass them by when you narrate the hadith, narrate it with the actual wording. The pseudo-Salafi movement takes those ahadith, they take this statement as meaning, take it in the literal meaning. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yadahu mabsutatan, Yadahu, which is translated in English as hands, his two hands are spread out, they would say this means take this meaning literally. But Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah would say, we recite these verses of the Quran and we do not know the exact meaning. The meaning is known to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what we do know is that it does not mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has organs or limbs. Because Al-Quran Al-Karim states, There is nothing like him, yet he is all hearing and all seeing. So the Anbiya والسلام, being alive in their graves, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu has informed us that the Anbiya prophets are alive in their graves and this is why in the debate for the interlocutor, the debater to attempt to weaken one hadith is insufficient because the definition of a mutawatir hadith is such that even if you weaken one hadith, there are so many ahadith, individual ahadith, that the sum total number of ahadith are so many that it would be impossible for any fair-minded individual to reject. So the hadith of the prophets being alive in the graves is a hadith, mutawatir, mass transmitted hadith. This is the first point I wanted to cover. So this would mean that the Prophet is alive in his grave and Sayyiduna Musa is buried in Jericho in a modern day occupied Palestine. Sayyiduna Musa is also alive. The Messenger of Allah in a hadith narrated by Imam Muslim in Sahih said, Mararatu bi qabri Musa عند الكثيب الأحمر وهو قائم يصلي. I passed by the grave of Musa عند الكثيب الأحمر under a red dune hill وهو قائم يصلي. He was standing up and praying. Meaning Sayyiduna Musa was standing up and praying. This hadith foretold the discovery of the grave of Sayyiduna Musa with which the modern day Zionists do not accept. This is why today the grave of Musa is under the custodianship of Muslims. In that grave Sayyiduna Musa was witness praying. This moving on from this first issue to a second issue is that if a, a, an objective individual, and I am addressing those people who are undecided, meaning they are not sure on these issues, I would say to them, moving on from the first issue, which is regarding the Anbiya Ali Musadat being alive in their graves, 
Each, and indivi each individual hadith must be investigated and looked at for every objective individual. Once you move on from this, you move on to a second aspect, which is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, لِيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا That the messenger may be a witness over you. Regarding this witnessing of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there is something known as عَرْضُ amal the presenting of the actions of the Ummah, the nation of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his grave. In the hadith narrated by Imam Bazar in his Musnad, on the authority of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, and there are different wordings for the hadith, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Hayati khayrul lakum, tuhdithuna wa yuhdathu lakum. And this can be recited with the tashdeed, the meaning would be that my life is a great good for you. You relate and it is related to you. Or you carry out actions and divine revelation is sent. This is regarding the life of the Messenger of Allah on earth. But the Messenger of Allah said, that my passing away is a great good for you. In what sense? In the, in the same narration, Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Musa states that the companion said that how is your living a great good? We know of the, through the mass transmitted hadith, like in the Sunan of Imam Abu Dawud, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited on the earth from consuming the bodies of the prophets. Similar type of hadith. But here the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, That your actions shall be presented to me. Meaning in the grave. When Sayyiduna Rasulullah sallallahu is in the grave, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents the actions to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa When I see good actions, I will praise Allah. And when I see bad actions, meaning knowledge of bad actions is presented to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi I seek forgiveness from Allah for you. And this is the meaning of the verse of the Quran. That when they wrong themselves, when any Muslim today, me and you, we wrong ourselves. Of course, in the debate, he said this is specific to the life of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa But it is not. The verse is mutlaq, meaning unrestricted. That when they wrong themselves, they go to you, meaning to whom? To the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa This brings me to the third issue. The third issue is visiting the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa in al-Madinatul Munawwarah. So when we sin, we wrong ourselves, we go to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And we say to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa because number one, he is alive in his grave. And this being alive in the grave means the flesh the body is not consumed and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa is alive and worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
he worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the actions are presented when they wrong themselves they come to you and they seek the forgiveness of Allah and the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa seeks forgiveness for them what will happen they will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tawwab ar-rahima turning to them and merciful to them so this brings us to the third issue in the sunan of al-imam al-dara-qutni rahimahullah ta'ala the most famous hadith on the ziyarah and visitation of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is man zara qabri wajabat lahu shafa'ati Whoever visits my grave, my intercession is necessary for him. This hadith is narrated by Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma. The objectors, starting with Abu al-Abbas Ahmad bin Taymiyyah, because he was the first person to reject visitation of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Prior to him, no scholar rejected visitation. In fact, in the early Hanbali works, like the, uh, the work of Ibn Qudam al-Maqtisi rahimahullahu ta'ala al-Mughni, the, one of the best reference books for the Hanbali school, they recommend people to visit the grave of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or Al-Ahkam Sultaniyah uh, by one of the early Hanbali scholars, not the one of Al-Mawardi, which is a separate book by a Shafi'i scholar. This hadith, they attempt to weaken from three points. Number one is the weakening of the narrator Musa bin Hilal. And they present for this they say Musa bin Hilal was declared as being majhul unknown by, uh, by uh, Abu Hatim al-Razi rahimahullah ta'ala who was a scholar of hadith and regarding him al-Uqayli said in his book al-Du'afa la yutaba' that he is not followed upon in a hadith this type of presentation of weakening of the hadith of course the common Muslim when they hear such technicalities would, would be unable to discern such uh, uh, minute points, points which have obscurity. But when you go back and look at the methodology of Abu Hatim al-Razi, you find out that Abu Hatim al-Razi, when he declares a narrator as being majhul, he does not mean that the narrator is totally unknown. He means for him specifically, the narrator is unknown otherwise. As Al-Imam Jalaluddin Abdul Rahman al-Suyuti, rahimahullah, in Tadrib al-Rabi, mentioned that Abu Hatim al-Razi declared even narrators of Sahih Bukhari as being unknown. In fact, he went so far that he declared companions of the Battle of Badr as being unknown. So this obscurity is unknown to the person who, to whom it is being presented. They will start thinking Musa bin Hilal is weak. Why? Because Abu Hatim al-Razi weakened him. But they will not know that Abu Hatim al-Razi was such uh, when in his methodology when he would declare someone as being majhul he would mean that he is unfamiliar of that particular narrator. Like this, they attempt to weaken the hadith. Regarding Al-Uqayli, uh, his weakening in Al-Du'afa, we know what Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi has to say regarding that. That when he says, La yutaba', he just means that that person is unique and alone in narrating that hadith. And likewise, the second objection is relating to Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi's wording, where he sometimes may refer to a hadith as being munkar. Now munkar in hadith methodology generally means a hadith which is rejected. But particularly when Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi mentions a hadith being munkar, what he means is that narrator is alone in narrating that particular hadith. Thirdly, 
the third narrator which is Abdullah bin Umar or Ubaidullah bin Umar one of the sub narrators in the chain of narration they dispute his name now this of course is a long-winded subject but the hadith man zara qabri wajabat lahu shafa'ati whomever visits my grave my intercession is necessary for him is a sahih and authentic hadith there are numerous scholars of hadith who authenticated the hadith by the way kissing the hands of elders is permitted that's a different subject because even in this day and age objections are even made to kissing the hands of elders kissing of hands is elder, of elders is permitted in the sharia and the sunnah of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so this third objection regarding visitation of the grave of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is also rejected the hadith itself the hadith of adar qutni is authentic so Muslims today when they visit the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam they believe that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam tasted death because the Quran states kullu nafsin dha'iqatul maut every soul shall taste death but they believe that anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam their souls are returned back to them in their graves and al anbiya wa ahya'u fi quburi yusallun the prophets alayhi salatu wassalam are alive in their graves worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thirdly, that the a'mal, ardul a'mal, that the actions are presented to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. A fourth point, we know the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, بَدَأَ الْإِسْلَامُ غَرِيبًا وَسَيَعُودُ غَرِيبًا فَطُوبَ لِلْغُرَبَاءِ Which means what? Islam started strange. بَدَأَ الْإِسْلَامُ غَرِيبًا Islam started strange. وَسَيَعُودُ غَرِيبًا And it shall return to being strange. فَطُوبَ لِلْغُرَبَاءِ Glad tidings for the strangers. Meaning, there are some teachings of Islam today which in previous generations were so well known amongst people that when those teachings are presented today, people begin to think of them as strange. One of those practices is regarding the tabarruk, taking, seeking blessings from the relics of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa when people see us venerate and respect the relics of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, they deem this as being bid'ah innovation. Meaning, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Man Whoever innovates in our religion of ours with that which is not from this religion, it is rejected. The question is, is seeking blessings from the relics of the Messenger of Allah and respecting those relics from Al-Quran Al-Kareem and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah the answer is yes but due to time restriction I would just reference a book a beautiful book written by Al-Allama Muhammad Tahir bin Abdul Qadir Al-Kurdi Al-Makki Rahimahullah Ta'ala he is one of the students of Sayyid Alawi al-Maliki, the father of Sayyid Muhammad bin Alawi al-Maliki and the father of my Shaykh Sayyid Abbas bin Alawi al-Maliki, he's a student. He was known to transcribe the Mus'haf, the Mus'haf of the Quran written in Makkah al-Mukarramah, he would write, he was do, uh, write the autography of Al-Quran al-Kareem. This book is a beautiful compilation and I would, I would advise all the objective Salafis, all the objective Salafis, because I know they watch my lectures, all the people who are within the Salafi movement, who are objective, 
When they are objective, they can refer back to this book because they do not do taqlid, blind following. And we do not do blind following in aqidah, in belief. So both of us are the same in not doing taqlid in aqidah. We do taqlid of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah ta'ala, in faru' But in aqidah, we do not blind follow anyone. So objectively, look at this book, you'll find all the ahadith narrated and tabarruk and blessings. And you will find that within the hadith, for instance, he has akhraj al-Bukhari an Anas ibn Malikin radiyallahu anhu. That al-Bukhari narrates. Al-Imam Muhammad bin Ismail al-Bukhari rahimahullahu ta'ala. Anna Rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lamma halaqa ra'sahu kana abu talhata awwala man akhadha min sha'rihi. That when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had his blessed head shaved, the first person to take the hair was Sayyiduna Abu Talha radiallahu anhu who took the hair. Now why did he take the hair in another hadith, which is this hadith is narrated by Abu Awana in Sahih, and in, which is known as Musnadu Abi Awana. That halaqa shakka al-akhara fa'amara an yaqsimahu bayna al-nasi. That he, after the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, had his blessed, the full wording is Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Amar al-Hallaqa He ordered the barber Fahalaqa ra'sahu Who shaved the blessed head Wadafa'a ila Abi Talhata Ashaq al-Aymana He gave the hair on the right hand side To Sayyiduna Abu Talha radiyallahu anhu And Thumma halaqa ashaq al-Akhar When he had the other side shaven The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ordered him to distribute this amongst the people now a Muslim receiving a hair of the Messenger of Allah how will he behave with this? And which group of people today venerate the relics of the Messenger of Allah by Allah? Objective Salafis. Oh objective Salafis. This is from the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Likewise in Sahih Muslim from uh, Sufyan bin Uyayna from Hisham bin Hassan from Ibn Sirin rahimahullah ta'ala that after the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stoned the pillars, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had his blessed head shaven and gave the hadith, the hair to Abu Talha and said, distribute this amongst people. Now, of course, many of you will know the numerous ahadith relating to the relics, which are found in this one book, but there are numerous books written on this, and Awais Qadri will be able to tell you regarding the Urdu books that have been numerous Urdu books that have been written on this subject but we know also that Sayyidatuna Um Salma radiallahu anha would dip the hair of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi in water and give the people the water to drink so this is something well known in the books of Hadith this was a fourth subject which I wanted to touch upon fifthly and finally uh, I would like to mention that when ulama, scholars, imams and others, when they have access to so many people through conferences, through meeting people, being invited to their homes and through social media, in some cases, some of the public are unfamiliar with Islamic rulings. What this leads to is that when a scholar is invited to their homes, sometimes they may allow the male scholar who is coming to mix with the females of the household. This has led to major fitna tribulation. That today we have people 
who, because of their position in this country, and Al-Hajj, Awais Qadri comes many years, but in Pakistan, of course, the, the culture is different. In this country, what happens is when a person has a position of, or a status, like a doctor, he has access to females. He must have a protocol and also at the same time, if he were to marry his, his patient, likewise, if a, a professor in a university were to marry one of the students, the, person, the professor could lose his job. Is this not the case? A scandal will ensue. So scholars coming, born in the UK, or scholars who are living in the UK and who have attained British citizenship should know this, that when you are in a position of authority, you should not take advantage of your position because there are so many vulnerable females that a scholar can take advantage of due to the position which he has attained through Islam. Islam has given him this position. Otherwise, those females would not even want to know him. A person could have a very bad looking face and because of being a scholar, the women, females would want to know him. So therefore, the scholars, the imams, the mashayikh, everyone in a position of authority has a legal responsibility as well as a moral and ethical responsibility. But most importantly, the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us to have that the females must have hijab from the males and the males must also not interact with the females if there is no necessity. If there is no necessity, there it, it is not appropriate for a scholar to mix with females and talk to them because it leads to greater things. In the past year, in year 2017, we've had many scandals. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cover the sins of those individuals, the scholars and the public. We are not here to reveal the sins of any specific individual. But a nasiha, a word of advice, because I am not here to entertain people, a word of advice for anyone in our position is you must have a moral responsibility. And that moral responsibility means that you do not interact with females except with darura, which is necessity. And there is nothing inappropriate when you mix with those females. Lastly and finally, I would like to notify Nu'man Ali Khan from America that he made a statement regarding the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course, he lives over the pond, over the, the oceans. I would like to send this message to him that he must retract his statement regarding the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa accepted Islam at the age of 40 waliyadu billah. Now he may have been attempting to say something else, but whatever he was attempting to say came out wrong. In legal terms, what he said was inappropriate and the legal judgment can be given by an English-speaking scholar like uh, Mufti Munawar Atiq or anyone who is qualified to give a judgment. But I would advise him also to retract this statement and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable him to do so. Likewise, those people who have fallen short of any of the things which I have mentioned, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide them and guide us in our shortcomings and enable us to cover this, the faults and the sins of our Muslim brothers. But likewise, they should make amends and anyone who does not fall into that, that 
ethical standard of scholarship, such a person should not be uh, posing himself as a scholar or an imam. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.